Welcome to the Life Community Church Podcast. We are so excited and thankful you've decided to join us. We have a very special message for you today that we pray blesses you. How you doing? So we're starting a new series today that tells you. Uh, I, wanted, I did want to hit on something. Uh, as, we be, as we move into summer, uh, one of our philosophies here is that we believe that the work of God is supported by the sacrificial giving of God's people. Without coercion, without ma- manipulation, without bake sales, without car washes, without what any, you know, candy drives or whatever. Uh, We don't ask the youth to do that. We believe that uh, God's work should be financed by God's people. We don't go outside the walls and appeal to other people to support what we're doing here. Does that make sense? So, in relationship to that, summertime is upon us. And one of the realities of summertime is that our attendance will be down about 20% throughout summer. And with that, giving will be down about 20% throughout summer. But one of the unique things about summer, it costs more. Electricity to keep it cool in here. We could keep it warmer, but you'd go to sleep. So uh, to keep it cool, uh, to to go into camp and you think, well, the kids pay to go to camp, but we have to pay for all the extra people that are going to go in and watch them and oversee them. It's just, they're just greater expenses. So just think about this year, this summer, if the Lord would lead you to, if you would add something extra in your giving, it's a good time this time of year. It's almost, we're almost the midpoint of the year. It's a good time to look at your giving and see if you're on track with what you want to give. I don't think you'll find very many places that are lower key about giving than we are. Yet we have boxes in the back. Uh, we actually know, they say statistically, we could raise 20% more money if we passed the plate because you can get about 20% more guilt <laughs> by passing the plate. So, so thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, so you did see that we're starting uh, a series called, called The Vow. Uh, Tina and I have been today married 47 years. Tina is amazing. She's, she's beautiful. She's very patient. She would have to be to be married to me. She's talented. Uh, she's been a great wife. She's a great mother. Uh, she's a great pastor. She's a much better pastor than I am. You're lucky to have her because I stink at it. But she's really good at loving people. Uh, so 47 years. But they weren't all sunshine and roses, as Rocky would say. Uh, first of all, she was married to me. Uh, we both came into marriage more wounded and with more baggage than we were aware of. I mean, most of us don't uh, date by saying, hey, this is what's wrong with me. We try to hide that, right? Uh, And a lot of it, we don't even really know. 
We're not aware of it. We, so, so one of the things that happens in the close intimate relationship of marriage, it brings out in a way that statistics show us that not even living together does. Living together doesn't cause people to be real in the way that being married causes people to be real. And the real you may not be as ideal as the other person would like for you to be. So, we're going to talk about marriage for the next couple of weeks. We're calling it the vow. And there are marriages, you got to know this, there's marriages struggling all over the place. There's marriages struggling in here today, right now. Uh, so the next four weeks, there's not a lot to invest in marriage. We're going to talk about people that haven't, aren't married yet. And you may think, I don't need it. You know, Wayne and, Wayne and Mary Goodell have been married 63 years. They probably don't need it. They've had pretty much, I've been observing them for a long time, about 35 of those, <clears throat> seems like. I think it's right. Anyway, long time. And uh, they don't need it. They've got it down pretty good. But you know what? They have kids and grandkids like you do. You've got kids and grandkids and friends, coworkers that probably do need some help. Uh, so think about it. Ladies. When you were a little girl, did you dream of having the, maybe the perfect wedding, kind of a storybook wedding, the perfect spouse, you know, Prince Charming was going to come along, <clears throat> maybe uh, the perfect house. I think I stripped a gear while I was, I was singing today. It was like, I was trying to keep up with Tim. And... <clears throat> He sings up there with the birds. Like, I sometimes say, Tim, that was so high, dogs couldn't hear it. <clears throat> but, I mean, think about it. Did you dream of, like, the perfect house filled with the perfect kids? You know? And men, when you were a young man, your dream was a little different. <laughs> Joe? Did you dream of maybe getting married and possibly having sex twice a day? Are you still dreaming? <laughs> Think about this. Somewhere 50% of marriages don't make it. And even of those that do make it, a lot of those are miserable, right? So some people stay married, miserable. So think about that. If there was a 50% chance of dying in an automobile, you probably would never get in one again. I mean, the chances of dying in a car accident, if, if what I read is correct, it's one in 107 is the chance of dying in a car wreck in your lifetime. Not 50%, but a little less, about 0.9%. Uh, less than 1% of you have a chance of death from a drug overdose or firearm. It's almost all about the same car accident, Drug overdose, firearm. Bear or shark attack. I know some of you go, will go to the beach this summer and you're worried about shark attacks. One in 2.7 million. It's pretty, pretty safe. But you know what? I'm not going to take any chances. I'm going to stay in the pool. Uh, but I'll, even, you know, you think about, you know, a bear attack. One in 2.7 million. So why is marriage so hard. You ever think about that? Why is marriage so hard? Marriage is so hard because we're so selfish. 
And most of us are a little messed up. Most people are not spiritually equipped to have a great marriage, but I want to tell you this. Is a great marriage possible? Absolutely it is. It is possible, yes, to have a great marriage. God wants you to have a great marriage. And I've taken these, this sermon, the next four sermons are going to be based on a book by Jimmy Evans called Marriage on the Rock. We've used this around here. We've taught the video series. It's some great stuff. Uh, his ministry is called XO Marriage. I would, if you're having trouble in your marriage, I would re recommend you go to their website. They have all kinds of resources. They have counseling, uh, all kinds of things. Exo marriage, very, very good, very powerful ministry. So today we're going to talk about uh, one of four things, the vow of priority. Next week, the vow of pursuit, the vow of partnership, and the vow of purity. Today I want to talk about the vow of priority. In nearly all romantic movies, the way the world thinks about marriage this common idea that exists is that you won't be fulfilled in life until you meet the one. Someday my prince will come. Someday I'll find my love. Right? So, so there's this one perfect person that's your soulmate and completes you. And when you find that person, not only are they beautiful, they look great, they smell great, Preferably, they're loaded. Uh, suddenly, all the love songs make sense. And if you're going to be fulfilled, if you're going to be fulfilled in life, the story goes, you have to find that one. And you won't be happy in life until you find the one. What the Bible actually says in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. For the Christian, God is our one. And our spouse is our two. We love God with all our heart. And the reality, if you have a marriage that honors God, where we put God first in our life and our spouse is number two, we'll be a better spouse and we'll have a better marriage. If God is your one and your spouse is your two, I'm trying real hard to say your spouse is your number two because I know how some of y'all will think. <laughs> you see, if you ask your spouse to fulfill you and give you purpose that only God can do, then you're putting a burden on your spouse that they weren't meant to carry and can't carry. It's too much. You're asking them to give you purpose and fulfillment and identity and value. And they can help, but they can't be that. The hole in your heart is too big. God created you to need him to fill it. For those of you that are thinking that or hoping that someday you'll be married, you should seek the one while preparing for the two. Put God first. Become the person that you are looking for is looking for. I'll seek the one while God prepares me for the two. See, I, don't you think we all have a little work that God wants to do on us? So the vow of priority is this. The promise, I promise God 
that I'll make him my first priority and my spouse will be my second. And when God created marriage, that's the way he created. He gave a foundational rule for relationships between a husband and wife. Listen to what? The very first occurrence, Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That's the law of priority. We're making a priority. It says you're going to leave your father and mother, you're going to become one flesh. The moment you get married, you leave. It's like to sever, and you cleave to the spouse. The spouse gets top priority in your life. So when a couple leaves and cleaves, they leave the controlling, not negatively controlling, but the controlling influence of their parents to establish their own normal. Most of us didn't know that our family wasn't normal until we were exposed to someone else's family. There are no perfect families. There are good families. But there are no perfect families. You, so you have to come, come to terms with the fact that some of the stuff in your, that your family did was dysfunctional. And some of the stuff of what your family's, your spouse's family did was dysfunctional. Right? I, my, my, my family was a godly family, but... My family, because my parents had grown up in such poverty, my, my parents, uh, my father and mother both had lived in houses with dirt floors in the 20s growing up when they were born in the 30s. My parents had grown with such poverty. They were, they had some, and they'd grown up Pentecostal. In, in, the, in the good old days, the, the Baptist down the road would throw rocks through the windows of the Pentecostal church, you know, good Christian fellowship that we had. Uh, so they had some insecurities that they brought into the relationship, uh, which was part of my family. Tina's family was, didn't struggle with that. They were alcoholics and adulterers. So both families were dysfunctional. You know, and maybe the family you grew up probably had some dysfunction. Maybe there was a lot of anger and yelling. Uh, maybe there was some kind of abuse. Uh, physical, emotional, sexual. Maybe there was some kind of control and manipulation. Maybe there was alcohol or drug abuse. or Maybe there was a lack of discipline. Maybe there was emotional insecurity. Maybe there was a lack of love and care you didn't feel cared for. Maybe it was hard to get approval to measure up. You, you know, what, no matter what you did, no matter what grades you made, you could have done better. Uh, so you always felt like you were always behind Maybe you were babied and spoiled. Tina and I are both the babies. She uh, came 16 years later than her brother and sister, so she's the baby baby. She's the queen baby. And uh, I was the baby uh, of our family. So we struggled with who was going to baby the babies because I didn't want anybody to take care of us. So I won. She takes care of me. Uh, so, but in most families, so, so there was goodness, there's goodness in our families mixed in with the crazy. So as we mature, we have to try to recognize the crazy and get freedom from it in Christ and embrace the good, right? Does that make sense? So 
you're going to separate from your parents. You're going to create this new identity. So you may ask for input and advice from your parents, but you're not bound to that because now you have a new authority structure. Word of caution here, if you ask for help, especially financially, you're going to get input and advice. If you get money from them, you're going to get advice from them, <laughs> right? Now, mother-in-laws, uh, mother-in-laws don't hate me for this. I had a really, really good mother-in-law. Uh, I miss her because she always took my side in arguments. Uh, but as a mother-in-law, you no longer get to determine what your children do with their spare time or on holidays. And, and, and especially if you complicated it, and now instead of going to two places for holidays, they have to go to four, then that makes it more difficult. Uh, but this goes both ways. When you fight with your spouse, you don't run a home to your parents. I actually did this once uh, about 40 years ago, 45 years ago, I can't remember, but it's, I try to forget it. I went back to Abilene for three days uh, so that Tina would realize how wrong she was. And I was wrong to do that. It, it was immature and stupid and divisive, and I gave her cannon fodder for arguments for 25 years. Uh, it wasn't worth it. Uh, don't ever call your parents to complain about your spouse. If you need to complain about your spouse, find a counselor, a pastor, a friend, but don't call your parents. You will eventually probably forgive them for the stupid thing they did, but they will not. So you need to be careful. The law of priority that we all should have is reflected in natural jealousy. In our culture, we often view jealousy as a negative thing, but there's a legitimate jealousy that God puts inside us related to marriage. The Bible says God is jealous. It even says that God is, is his name. Jealous is one of God's names. God is jealous when something in our lives takes his place. In marriage, spouses have the same type of jealousy. There is a healthy jealousy. There's an unhealthy, unhealthy jealousy. In 2 Corinthians 11, 2, Paul is talking about this relation, this jealousy. He says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. In marriage, a husband or wife will naturally become jealous when something begins to replace them in their spouse's life. That's why the satisfaction level of marriage drops when children enter the picture. So what happens? Well, often at this point, uh, the woman turns her focus from her husband and turns the attention to the kids and the husband turns from his wife and turns attention to his career. Children require a tremendous amount of time and energy and emotional energy. So often in 
in the joy and the wonderful prospect of having children, the, the priority of the marriage is lost because the husband and wife stop focusing on attention on each other because their war smooth out. So if you're going to have a successful marriage, you, you have to continue to make marriage a priority, your marriage a priority, and you have to find a way to avoid the trap by, uh, by maintaining the right priorities. You, you need to make sure that you have a date night. And even if you don't have money, invest in a lock for the door to keep those little rugrats out of your bedroom. Because there's no place you can go in your house that they don't want to go. You have, as a parent, you don't know that you have surrendered the right to ever go to the bathroom by yourself again. You can even shut the door. Little fingers will stick under the door. Like, Mom, Dad every crisis. So, so you have to work at creating time together, even if it's, you know, you know, if it's taking them someplace for, you know, like McDonald's, which used to all have playgrounds, but they don't do that anymore. But you find a McDonald's, Chick-fil-A gave up on playgrounds. So you find a, a McDonald's, it's not great food, but you know, you're not serving them great food every night anyway. So, <laughs> you know, that macaroni and cheese isn't any better. So, so you know, at least they, you can talk. You can have a moment where they're, you know, you might get 45, a minute, two minutes at a time between the screaming and the yelling and she touched me again. You might get some time where you can look at each other and remember what you look like uh, and talk. And you need to do that. You need to work at that. You have to continue to make that a priority. Uh, this includes working too much or focusing too much on the kids to the detriment of your marriage. The best gift that you can give your marriage is a healthy, happy marriage. That's the best gift you can give your kids, not your marriage. The best gift you can give your kids is a healthy, happy marriage. And the only way to do this is it requires the same thing that it required when you were dating and wooing each other. If, if wooing is a term anybody understands anymore. Okay. Uh, trying to attract the other person. So what did you do? You sacrificed. You sacrificed your time, your money. So you may have to give up certain interests. You may have to give up things that take a lot of time, like make golf or sports involvement or shopping or longer days at work. Why? For the good of the marriage. Why? Because time is the essential commodity of relationships. Relationships have to have time to be successful. Once you've established those priorities, then you have to protect them. See, because the things that often destroy marriages are not bad things. I mean, work's not a bad thing. We all have to, you're going to have to work. Because most of us really like eating, having a roof over our head. So work's not evil. Work is one of the ways that we glorify God with our lives. Work is important. Work is valuable. It's, this is not to, to vilify work. Work is important. It, it's a good thing, but 
you can, you can overdo it. And it's especially if there develops this tension where one of you is spending too much time involved in the lives of the children and the other person feels being left out, then they may invest themselves more into work. And so you, that, these are things, conversations that you need to have. And these are hard conversations, aren't they? So we often hide, we can't hide in work. Maybe, you know, work, all those things. Uh, we have to continue to take time away from, so that we can pursue each other. Take time to devote it to your marriage. You, you know, if you can get away for a weekend, you know, take your, parent, take your kids to someone's house that you trust <laughs> and remember where they were. So marriage only works when it's the first priority behind Christ. That's the challenge. But the law of priority is one God said at the beginning. If your spouse is complaining that you spend too much time at work, you need to listen to that. It's something that, that's the conversation starter, isn't it? What if, what if they say you spend too much time with your friends? It's good to have friends, but friends shouldn't take priority over your marriage. Or I said golf, I don't know why I picked on golf twice. Uh, you know, uh, or Facebook, or, you know, you, most of you aren't doing that anymore, or YouTube, or TikTok, or one of the hundred other things that people are doing, or, or you're just on your phone. If your spouse complains that you're on your phone too much, you know what that means? It means you're on your phone too much. You say, well, it's not too much for me. Well, it's too much for them. It's, it's a detriment to the relationship. So you have to create, so you have to continue to embrace the priority of the marriage. And if you don't, you're violating God's law of priority. Marriage has to have a priority. Maybe you need to have a space, a time in your home where, where you, you know, the phones are put away. And I, I'm as addicted to my phone as any of you in this room. But if it's harming your relationship, you know, sometimes I'll text Tina that's in the chair next to me. We're violating the law of priority. So that's the way, only way marriage works. You have to make it a priority. So here's this. If I'm going to be fulfilled in life, I need to find the one. Because the only place that I'm going to find real soul satisfaction is in Jesus Christ. Paul said that I may know him. Because Paul said, I found myself in him. Paul, who had tried religion tried a lot of things, found that in Christ, he found the fullness and that filled the longing of his soul that religion and their pursuit of knowledge never did. 
the most important thing you can do for your marriage is put Christ at the first place in your marriage because Christ can help fulfill See, Tina and I didn't realize even how broken we were. I mean, we looked like the perfect couple. 47 years ago, we both looked pretty good. You know, we've been beaten to death by time, but other than that. But there was in us a lot of stuff that we had, to, we had to give to the Lord. And I don't know if Christ hadn't been number one in our lives, I don't know if we'd have made it. If Christ hadn't been the number one, the number one priority in our lives, if we had, because we were messed up enough but if we had messed that up too, I don't know if we could have survived in marriage. If we didn't realize that the, if you don't get that first priority right, it's hard to get the second one right. If you don't put Christ at the center, if you don't find your fullness in Christ, if, you, if your needs aren't your emotional needs of purpose and value, validation, are not met in Christ, your spouse, everything they do will always be just a drop in the bucket. Think about this. Think of, think of that. Your, your emotional needs are a bucket. And when you're needy, you're walking around saying, do you love me? Do you, do you, how about, do you love me now? How about now? And and they may say, yeah, I love you. But guess what? It hits the bottom of that bucket. It's not enough. But there's one who's able to fill our bucket. That's Christ. And when we seek him and find him and, and f- continue to find our fullness in him and we, we focus on what he said about us and how much he loves us and what he accomplished for us, what he did to bring us salvation and the future that he has for us and the plans that he has for us, the priority and the purpose and the destiny and the value and the, the, the family that he's brought us into, then our bucket is full in him. Then when your spouse gives you that little peek, a little drip, guess what? It's overflow. It's more than enough because you have found your fullness in Christ. I will, if you're not married, you need to kind of make this commitment. I'm going to seek the one while I'm waiting for the two. If you make your purpose in life seeking the two, you'll probably make a major mistake. 50% of people do. But if you seek the one while you're waiting for the two, God can prepare you to be the person you're looking for. Amen? Let's stand.
Let's sing this and then we'll come back. After we sing. This has been the Life Community Church Podcast. Thank you for listening.